0: A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. It's been I Mr. Gorbachev, teared down this.
1: The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies.
2: Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 54, mm-hmm. Ray, Cam. hello Ray, hello Cam, so um, last episode we talked about the declaration on liberated Europe, liberated Europe said no more unilateral actions between countries or by <laughs> allied powers, uh, and then everyone yeah. was like oh I'm yeah signing. absolutely but just don't, don't look at Greece or yeah. Poland, but the document that they signed failed to uh, incorporate any mechanism that would uh, determine how they actually right. implemented these it policies. Did start out,
1: so yeah, it, it did start out with that, It, and it not so much later.
2: It's kind of like um, you and I uh, signing an agreement mm-hmm. that, uh, that we'll work together on a podcast, but right. I didn't specify how much work would actually be done by the respective parties. And so later on, you come along and you say, well, listen, you never said I, I had to do any work, just we would do mm-hmm. a podcast together. And, um, and, and uh, you know, yeah. so yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah agreement yeah. signed now.
1: Well, this is the spirit of the agreement. I am currently sitting with you podcasting. That's really all I have to do. So a
2: podcast will be made. <laughs> um, you won't do any work, but uh, hey, but it's, that's the spirit of the agreement. So anyway, and and, and I didn't, you know, sign into the contract that I get could have you fired. So now I'm locked into this for life.
1: Oh, I feel like a hug coming on.
2: Yeah, so.
1: Did I read that wrong?
2: So this is what they've got themselves into here, is just uh, a very fluffy sort of agreement. No real detail in it at all. And then everyone's going to complain later on that it had no detail. But it sounded good and it
1: felt good.
2: Mm. Frank just wanted to get the hell out of there As we said in the last episode Frank just declared I'm leaving on a jet plane tomorrow yeah. um, by, by jet plane I mean a boat By a, a boat I mean a ship And I'm leaving tomorrow And uh, there's nothing you can do about it I don't care Speak to the hand, because the face ain't listening. Speak to
1: the back of my wheelchair. I mean, because he already had his security agents uh, with King Farouk of Egypt, King uh, Ibn Saud of uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia. So, yeah, he's got... And we're sort of joking about it, but he does have serious discussions to bring up with these people to try to begin to right a very, very uh, grievous wrong during World War Two.
2: Yeah, he has... Big, important discussions about how much oil <laughs> are you going to give the United States?
1: Well, there's that, and there's also the creation of the Jewish state in Palestine. But yeah, yeah, it's fucking oil.
2: Yeah, we want the oil.
1: Yeah, got
2: um, oil. Also on February 9th, after this public relations exercise the, was the declaration, which, by the way, for the United States' perspective, was a huge win. It committed them to nothing, while forcing, supposedly, the Soviets and the British to behave according to the principles of the declaration.
1: But at the same time, they knew they knew we weren't going to back it up, but still they signed it, so FDR just has to hope for the best.
2: On February 9th, Stettinius, big steady, also proposed that the UN Security Council would hold consultations on territorial trusteeships and uh, dependent areas before the United Nations conference. So we're going to look at all the colonial territories and make sure that they're being freed up.
1: (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a little short, wide, round, pink, fat man over there who's getting pinker by the second as you read that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) 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 What? (laughs) Ahem. He said, I will not have one scrap of British territory flung into that area. After we have done our best to fight in this war and have done no crime to anyone, I will have no suggestion that the British Empire is to be put into the dock and examined by everybody to see whether it is up to their standard. No one will induce me, as long as I am Prime Minister, And they said, well, that won't be much longer, quite frankly. Anyway, (laughs) to let any representative of Great Britain go to a conference where we will be placed in the dock and asked to justify our right to live in a world we have tried to save. Mm,
1: He is hot.
0: He is hot. Now, Uh, for the British
2: delegation, it's a little bit embarrassing too because this statement actually specifically... Concerned territories that belonged to or had been administered by Japan.
1: (laughs) The other bad uh, empire. The
2: other colonialists. (laughs) And Churchill only come down after Steady said, "Yeah, Prime Minister, uh, this is uh, only about Japan." Says it right there. Japan, J
0: A P A N. Nothing about the British Empire. Oh! Turn it down. Very good. Yes, yes. Keep it up. Ha, ha, ha. Very good. Oh, those terrible Japanese colonists, yes. We <laughs> should do something about those terrible, terrible Japanese colonists.
1: But even then... He still wanted a statement about the provisions that are that you know again do not agree to his particular empire. So again, two-faced. But again, we're not judging. We're not blaming. This is pretty much just the way the world works and the way leaders are. It's their job to look after their own. But still, two-faced.
2: that night at dinner, Roosevelt made some jokes about Churchill missing out on his midday nap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> According to the Americans who were there, the Prime Minister had sat at the table and drifted off into a sound sleep from which he would awaken very suddenly, making speeches about the Monroe Doctrine. The President said he had to tell him repeatedly that it was a very fine speech, but it was not a subject under discussion. (laughs)
1: after all if the americans can have the monroe doctrine then surely we must be able to look after our own it is only fair-what
0: oh sorry yes japan (laughs) he would wake up and go-oh take that dress off me i would-what oh oh sorry what where am i hello Oh, i was dreaming about j edgar (laughs) hoover we had a party i don't know what happened it's all (sighs) rumours Monroe Doctrine, terrible thing. But what it comes down
1: to is that with this little outburst and with all this stuff, and hopefully everybody knew it, but obviously for us it's hindsight, the Americans and the rest of the world should have been put on notice that Britain's desire to hold on to its empire in whatever form, whatever, reduced state, whatever, uh, just as strong as it always had been, hopefully the Americans realize that, but like you've said plenty of times before, FDR is just out to break. Uh, the, the Britain's blo- block on the, so much of the world to open up those markets to America because now that the American economy is rolling, we have to have more and more markets to keep it going or we will end up in a Great Depression and that's how you get kicked out of office.
2: Now, Churchill didn't only want to maintain Britain's existing imperial positions. He wanted to extend them. Oh, God. Particularly in strategically important parts of the world, particularly Iran, uh, Persia, which we've talked about before on the Syrian series the bullshit filter series i think
1: yeah bullshit filter yeah
2: yeah yeah anyway anyway if you know want to know more about the history of uh, oil and england and iran go and listen to the bullshit filter it's free yeah
1: it's
2: pretty For the good moment. in iran britain was in possession of the world's largest oil refineries And they deployed troops in Iran in the summer of 1941. And they were competing for influence in that part of the world with both the Soviets and the Americans for control of the oil resources.
1: America got there a little late, but uh, we're more than making up for that, obviously with our influence and with our wealth. But yeah, so there's another player on the stage and everybody's out to get what they can. Uh, But Iran has their own plans, believe it or not, which is going to piss off a lot of
2: people. Well, this is one of the reasons why, straight after Yalta, Roosevelt was going to meet with King Ibn Saud of Saudi Arabia. (laughs) To say, alright, we're a bit late to the game in Iran, but I hear you motherfuckers have got some oil, eh? Hey? Alright. What do you want for it? (laughs) Let's talk. Now, in August of 1941, Soviet and British troops both occupied Iran. The Atlantic Charter had been published a week earlier and it said, uh, you know, self-determination, free, fair and balanced, Fox News for all people. And the British went, yeah, right, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And then invaded Iran.
1: They said, they said, yeah, of course, thank you for the toilet paper.
2: Now, the Reza Shah Pahlavi, Iran's monarch at the time, appealed to Roosevelt to intervene and said, hey, listen, uh, you know, you've been making all of these declarations about the principles of international justice and the right of the peoples to liberty, I beg your excellency to take efficacious and urgent humanitarian steps to put an end to these acts of aggression. And Roosevelt said, "Uh, no, 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 look, don't don't confuse what I say with what I'm actually going to do when shit happens. What I say in front of the cameras and what's really (laughs) going to happen is different. You don't think I've been elected four times (laughs) fulfilling promises, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Come on. Now, in America's defense, I feel like I should come to FDR's um, defense here. In this part, in August of 1941... Obviously uh America's not at war but we are trying very hard to give the uh to give the Russians to give the British uh, as many arms as we can we're building up stuff in in Asia and then when war does come in December of 1941 we're obviously going to have our hands full so and and but that's almost beside the point there's no way we are going to help Iran against Britain it's just I mean they look like us they talk like us we are not going to take your side over our our cousins it's just not going to happen
0: yeah
2: Now, the British and the Soviets' justification was, well, you know, Iran's important. We don't want the Nazis to get it, so we're going to take it.
1: That's right. Um, Nasty Nazis.
2: So, we have to invade, because if we don't invade, the Nazis will invade. Why? Yeah.
1: Zero-sum game. Game theory. Well,
2: yeah. Or justification theory. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. There we go. It's even better.
2: Now... There were other paths that they could have taken. Invading a country to save a country is not necessarily <laughs> the only way of doing these things. Really? I think it is. Like, you could say, listen, you might get invaded by the Nazis. Would you like us to come in? And they say, no, we're good, thanks. You go, well, fuck you. We're coming in anyway, but it's for your own good. <laughs> it's for your own good. No, it's not. We don't want you here. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Shh. Yes, shh. <laughs>
1: Calm down. Shh.
2: It's okay. Just part your legs. Yes, you want this. Look, if you didn't want this, you wouldn't have been dressing in such a slutty dress. If you didn't want this, you wouldn't have gone out, gone drinking, put on that slutty red dress. You want this. Yeah, you do. You oh. do. You do. Shh. You know you do.
1: <laughs> and I'm here to give You're to a
2: to bad, you. You're a bad, Iran. bad Iran. Bad Iran. Dirty, I'm, dirty Iran.
1: I'm, I'm getting turned on, and I want to drive a car all at the same time. I don't know.
2: Rape turns you on, Ray? Really? After... <laughs> Really? Is that what it's come down to?
1: Sexy se- sexy rape does. Not just old fat. Sexy rape does. I'm, I'm going to admit that.
2: The producers of the Cold War podcast would like to state once again <laughs> that uh, we do not agree with rape in any way, shape or form. There is no such thing as sexy rape. Uh, Ray's <laughs> suggestion that there is, is no reflection on the <laughs> Cold War podcast or any sane person outside of Virginia.
1: It's a Virginia family
2: thing. Don't write me emails saying I can't listen to the show because you guys make jokes about rape. We do not endorse rape in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. That's the point that we're trying to make, that we don't endorse rape, even if it's the rape of a country.
1: We're definitely against that. That's what all these shows are about. Oh, my God. Definitely against raping countries.
2: Have I been lip-smacking in these episodes? I have been paying attention.
1: No, because I would be a little hard if you were, so I don't think so.
2: Trying hard not to. Make sure you tell me if I do, because, you know.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't
2: know if you saw that email, but I got an email from someone after we recorded last week. Oh, by the way, I went through the shows I put out last week and edited the fuck out of them (laughs) to try and take the lip-smacking out. Every time, then I made some jokes at Martin's expense about that. And uh, initially, in, I got an email from someone saying, oh, you shouldn't make fun of that. You know, some of us, it's a real condition. You know, we, uh-huh. when we hear that, it really affects us. I was I was polite. Really? I didn't say what I was really thinking. I said, I'm sorry. Yes, sir. I'll stop it. I won't do it anymore. I guess
1: my rape comment's not so bad now.
2: Let's talk about rape instead. Yeah, how about that?
1: <laughs> it's just part of your charm, Cam. Just run with it. Run with it. Or smack with it. Whatever. Go.
2: So, Iran. Uh, so, yes. So, Roosevelt said, yes, no, uh, forget all that stuff I said <clears throat> about international justice and the right of peoples to liberty it doesn't apply here. It only applies to our enemies, not to our friends.
1: Now's not a good time for me.
2: Now, at Yalta, the Americans wanted to get everyone to agree, as they'd already agreed at the Tehran conference, in principle, mm-hmm. to... Right withdraw from iran or persia as frank continued to call it even though the country had asked everyone to call it iran 10 years earlier yeah he just kept calling it persia because you know he's old and fuck it what's he's he gonna stuck do
1: stuck in his ways yeah
2: but uh the british sure the soviet and the soviets were like no nah, we don't want to talk about it no what what hey hello what can't hear you oh my hearing aid need to turn up oh look over there there's a truck uh, look out the window with a boat on it now, Churchill <laughs> believed that Roosevelt's intention to talk about a freer run had nothing to do with humanitarian principles, but had a lot to do with him wanting to see the end of the British Empire so the Americans could move in and take everything.
1: Uh, the Americans are attempting to rape the British Empire. Got it.
2: <laughs> yes. Listen. <laughs> Don't talk about me raping Iran. As soon as I stop raping Iran, you're going to rape me.
1: <laughs> the moment I hold still, there you are going to be right behind me.
2: And Stalin wasn't interested because he had troops in Iran. Hadn't managed to get any oil concessions yet because, because when, when the Americans refused to assist the Iranians in getting rid of the British and the Soviets, the Shah shut down giving away any future oil concessions until after the war. He said, not until it's over. And so Stalin knows as soon as he pulls troops out, he ain't getting any oil.
1: He ain't getting shit. Yeah. If you're not getting it while your forces are there, it's not going to happen. And Stalin had sent a representative there who pretty much cocked it up from the the go, who was very belligerent, uh, antagonistic, threatened people, just not the way to get something done with the king. You know, you got to grease some palms. So they screwed it up. So Stalin, this is not a major issue for Stalin. If
2: you're going to rape a country, <laughs> buy them flowers first. You know, I mean, sure, it's still non-consensual, but at least make it seem like you care. Right. It's all about the setting. It's like Berea. <laughs> Berea, when he would pick up women off the streets, take them back to his Dasha <laughs> right. and rape them. They got a bouquet of flowers afterwards when they left. That, you know. That's true. Yes, it's rape, and yes, that's wrong. Right. Horrible, horrible, unconditionally wrong. But if you give them a bouquet of flowers afterwards, <laughs> <laughs> flowers just say something. It's the thought that counts. It softens. It's really what. Yeah. How I think yeah. Boeria thought about it.
1: Right. Thank you for not scratching my eyes out. We are going to hell. We
2: anyway. are worse than Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, if we. If we got to the pearly gates and there was us on one side right. and Cersei Lannister on the other side, I reckon say Peter go mm, hard call. I
1: don't know.
2: Yeah, I'm going to have to think about this one. So, they didn't want to talk about Iran. And this leads to one of the funniest back and forths in the whole conference. Another reason why we had to do these last couple of days. So... The issue of Iran gets thrown to the foreign ministers and British Foreign Minister Anthony Eden wanted the big three to issue a declaration that they wouldn't try to extract further oil concessions while they had troops in the country and that they would remove their troops right. as soon as possible after the war. It's about Iran, of course. Now, That's, it sounds yes. lovely, but, of course, this place totally into Britain's interests. Britain already has oil interests. In Iraq. Yeah. So, troops. and troops. And so they were like, well, yeah, we can take our troops out. We'll still have our oil. we got a contract. And if right. the Iranians is trying to break the contract, we'll just send troops back in and say, and they say hey, you broke the contract. <laughs> Which happens in 1953 when Mossadegh gets removed. But we'll talk about that later. Although we have talked about that briefly on the Syrian series. So if you right. want to skip ahead, go and listen to that on the bullshit film on the removal of Mossadegh.
1: And just to let everyone know, Britain does possess, control, whatever you want to call it, the largest oil refinery in the country. I mean, it's not just a little chunk of land, however. These people control a massive amount of oil. So, yeah, you do whatever you have to do. You look your your opponent right in the eye and you lie to them trying to keep them out because this is just worth way too much money. I
2: think it was the biggest oil refinery in the world at the time, the Aberdeen okay. thing, Yeah.
1: That's right, that's but right. But that was
2: Eden's suggestion. Yeah, listen, let's all just say, we'll sign this thing that says we're not going to try and get any more oil out of Iran and we'll get our troops out. Anyway, Molotov, in the foreign minister's meeting, says, uh, I have not had time to read proposal. I will need time to study. So they go, all right. So the next day, Eden brings up the proposal again. It's February 8th, originally. February 9th, he brings it up again. Molotov goes, uh, I have nothing to add for my comment from yesterday. So Eden says, "Well, let's just put out a statement saying that we discussed a run." Molotov says, "Yet." Yeah. He goes. Eden keeps trying to get him to budge. Can we just say that we said that we would discuss the red? "Yet I do not think so." No. Eden just keeps trying. Molotov just keeps going. No. Yet. Yet. No, not even going to say that we thought that we thought that maybe we could possibly one day talk about Iran. No Iran ever. No, nothing. So Eden goes directly to Stalin, goes around Molotov. Stalin apparently said to him, listen, my friend, if you ever need anything, you come directly to me. Molotov, he can be very difficult. He is Russian. I know he's very difficult. I'm Georgian. I'm Georgian. You (laughs) know, very different. Trust me. You need anything. You come to me. I am your friend always. So Eden goes directly to Stalin and tells him about what's going on. Stalin just laughs and says, uh, I haven't had chance to study proposal yet.
1: <laughs> How many times did Churchill said that? Never been oh cock-blocked
2: God. until you've been cock-blocked by Russians. He goes, oh, Molotov, he's so difficult. Will you sign it then, Joe? Oh, I haven't had time to study proposal. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the fucking Russian... It's like the wall in Game of Thrones, man. Right. You're just not getting through the wall. When the Russians <laughs> drop the right. wall, man, you're not getting through the wall.
1: <laughs> you're not getting through Now, Stalin is going to get a lot more serious because even though time is running out, there are things that he still wants. I think we can all agree that even though he's had some setbacks, he's gotten some pretty impressive concessions, but there are still other things that he wants. There are things that the Tsars have been trying to get for decades, maybe centuries, and now he sees this as his opportunity to finally do what they were, they have never been able to do.
2: Now, as everyone who listens to our Alexander show knows the Black Sea Straits connect the Ukraine to the Mediterranean and the Indian Oceans and mm-hmm. they've been strategically critical to everyone forever. Pretty much forever. Yeah. You go back Because uh, yeah Philip of Macedon fighting in that area. Alexander the Great, his son, fought in this area to get access to Asia Minor, Turkey, as Turkey was known back then. The wars of the successors after Alexander, they're all fighting around this area. This narrow strip has been critical, and the Russians want access to it. I mean yeah because they've got Sevastopol in the east
1: they've got Archangel in the northwest I mean these these guys need a warm water port port uh this is the largest country in the world obviously they they they're uh they're shipping things out to other people and they're bringing stuff in because they could be doing better making things so the point is um they need a warm water port trade is going to be just as important to them as it is to everyone else and so Stalin finally finally, after centuries of all the Russian leaders that have come before him, sees an opportunity to get what no one else could. He would truly go down in history books and be the hero of Russia. Yeah,
2: as we've talked about warm water ports before, it's absolutely critical for Russia's ability to trade. Stalin had a private meeting with Churchill in one of these last days, and he said it was intolerable. That the Soviet Union should should be at
0: the mercy of the Turks. Not only in war, but in peace. And for Russia to have to beg the Turks to let their ships go to the Straits. Oh, I like it when I
2: do, do it like Dr. Evil. Uh, very up-up here. I, uh, it's very sexy. I might do this in my lovemaking tonight. I want to make love to your body. Uh, it's very sexy. Hopefully someone else is there with you. Yeah... Uh, Churchill agreed with him, surprisingly, and said he was prepared to support a proposal to open the straits up. Hmm. So here you go. Stalin on one hand. Boom. I'm going to look the other way in Greece. Churchill's like, okay, we'll, we'll look the other way of the straits. We'll open up the straits to Russian shipping. Damn. Churchill
1: must have really wanted fucking Greece in order to put up with this because he... And don't ever forget how much he hates... Communism. He just does not trust that it is in his blood, as we're going to see later
2: on. No, he says later on that he doesn't hate communism at all. (laughs) Now, when Stalin brought up the Straits in the plenary session on Feb 10, Churchill
0: remarked, I tried some time ago to get through the Dardanelles, and the former Russian government had two army corps ready to help me at the other end. However, we did not succeed in joining hands. I consequently have some feeling on the question. Now, of
2: course, what he's referring to is one of the great disasters of his political career, the failed British attempt early in World War I to take control of the Dardanelles by sea uh, and simultaneously simultaneous land invasion of the Gallipoli Peninsula.
1: Yeah. You, you give the accusation or you explain it and then I will try to defend Churchill.
2: Oh, well, okay. My understanding is, and I haven't studied this to any degree. Yeah. As an um, Australian, Gallipoli, very big fucking deal here. A lot of Aussies and New Zealanders were in the landings there, including my great-grandfather. A lot of people died. Now, my understanding is that Churchill, who was the first lord of the Admiralty at the time, believed that the... They needed to be able to support the Russian Tsar, who was still in control of Russia at the time, 1915, and uh, they needed to open up supply lines to him, and the only real way of doing that was to burst through the Dardanelles to create a supply line with Russia, and that they thought they could do it, that it was the least worst option. And... So they tried successively, failed successively, and it was a major disaster.
0: Yeah,
1: a whole lot of people uh, were ended up getting killed and abandoned and killed after that, that kind of thing. No, I just, I mean, th- this, and you're absolutely right, this ruined uh, Churchill's career. He's going to be kicked out of the cabinet. He's going to be kicked out of the government, uh, just a backbencher um, I'm trying to remember announcements along, so uh, but basically, what people need to remember, and you can hate Churchill, you can love him, you can like him, or you can have no opinion whatsoever. But at the one at that, this point in his career, he's just one of the people in the cabinet on the war cabinet. You had the Prime Minister Asquith, you had the First Sea Lord Admiral Fisher, you had the Secretary for the State of War Herbert Kitchener. They were all making these decisions together. But because of Churchill's personality, the way he sucked air out of the room, and it kind of made everything about himself. He got labeled with uh, Gallipoli. So when it all goes sour, he easily gets blamed. All the other person, all the other people in the cabinet, are okay with this because one, they don't really like him, and two, he becomes the scapegoat, scapegoat, and he gets out of there. Now, don't get me wrong. He he was for this and he helped plan it and he helped execute it. But he wasn't the only one. But he did take. The fall for everybody, and it did uh, bring his career to a crashing halt. And obviously, that has been with him for several decades. And it has, the sting of this has still not left him at his advanced age.
2: He was the first Lord of the Admiralty, and it was a naval operation with a land invasion. And
1: right, and but he... there was, yeah, but there was also a first Sea Lord, Admiral Fisher, who had been around for a long time that Churchill looked up to and, and took a lot of uh, took a lot of uh, information from. So, again, he just wasn't the only one.
2: Now, it was a big disaster, partly because they came up against Mustafa Kemal, who was leading the Turkish defense of Gallipoli, and he would later on become the first speaker of the parliament, first prime minister, first president of the new Turkish state after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, and he was given the honorific name Ataturk, father of the Turks in 1934. He fought back... But let's not get into Gallipoli, but they tried to take it for a year. Half a million men died on both sides during the attempt. Yes, before Rob Irwin emails me, I know a lot of British died as well. Big fucking deal. Fuck the British. Ha, only kidding. Only kidding, British listeners. I love you. I know, a lot of people died. Anyway, at Yalta, when Churchill brings up Gallipoli, Stalin offers him some support. You were in too much of a hurry to take away your troops. Perhaps in another week, you would have won as the Germans and Turks were ready to withdraw. It just sounds like Bernie Coppell as the leader of chaos in uh, in Get Smart. <laughs> oh, when he gets emotional, he's like, oh, Mr. Smart.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that voice for Stalin, but <laughs> he's in German. And Churchill agreed with him. I had nothing to do with that decision. I was already out of the government. And they hugged. Tears were shed. A
2: little bit of fondling. So yes, Churchill lost his seat in the cabinet owing to the huge outcry after the disaster of the battle. And of course, they failed to break through the Dardanelles, which meant the Russian Tsar was isolated. His supply lines were cut off, which helped... The Russian Revolution succeed a couple of years later in 1917, without which Stalin (laughs) wouldn't be there at Yalta telling Churchill that he pulled out too soon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The irony!
2: Yeah, right? It's great. I love it.
1: (laughs) But Stalin's not done.
2: Yes, he's not done. Yeah. Anyway, like the future of Iran, the issue of the Straits really didn't get resolved at Yalta because they had run out of time because Frank is leaving on a jet plane.
1: (laughs) Now, I thought it was interesting that, um, because I don't know how many shows, episodes this was ago, but FDR and Stalin have already sat down and they've already worked out the price that the United States have to pay to get um, the USSR into the war against uh, against Japan, because the estimates that are coming that are reaching FDR and his military advisors, they're saying somewhere between two and four million American military men will die if we have to go into um, if we have to go into Japan because because of their culture because of the Bushido code. Every person will fight. Every city will have to be destroyed. Uh, There will have to be just bodies from the shore all the way into Tokyo. And and we're going to lose a lot of men. And because America, even though they hadn't fought as long as everybody else, obviously they're they're tired of war. And that is why FDR was just so, in some ways, shockingly willing to give up so much uh, to get Russia into war. But at the same time, it's not like he's giving up American territory. He's giving up stuff that belongs to the Chinese.
2: Yeah, this is one of the major things that they wanted to get squared away while they're at Yalta, Uh, and they've already discussed it. Now they're just going to nut out the final details. And Stalin did some last-minute negotiations with Frank. He wanted an agreement that the Soviets would get access to a warm-water port at Port Arthur. Of course, a lot of this has to do with uh, what's under control of the under the control of the Chinese at the time, and they don't want to involve the Chinese in the actual negotiations because, quite frankly, <laughs> that'll just slow things down. So Frank just <laughs> agrees, yeah, yeah, the Chinese will be fine with it. Don't worry about it. We'll clear it with uh, Kuomintang later. Molotov also snuck a few words into the final text of the agreement. He said that the preeminent interests of the Soviet Union shall be safeguarded. Like, nice. a lot of the agreements at Yalta, this is so loosely worded that it can really mean anything in the interpretation <laughs> l- later on. It's a bit like, you know, in the beginning, uh, there was the Word, and God was the Word, and God created the Word. What the fuck does that mean? No one knows. <laughs> doesn't matter. But it's poetry. You can interpret that poetry. to mean... Yeah, yeah. You mean, to interpret that in any number of ways. Don't worry about it. We'll all, we'll, I'm but sure... Somebody said, Jesus, you know, don't you think this might be, like, uh, a little bit loose? Ah, don't worry about it. I'm sure they'll work it out. They'll work it
1: out. inspiring. Yeah. Mm. It's Mm. like a preamble. It's inspirational. No, Mm. but my favorite Mm. part was when... um, FDR says to Stalin, he goes, do you want to talk to Chiang Kai-shek? And Stalin's like, no, no, you do it. And so not only does uh, Stalin get what he wants from the president, but he gets the president to be his messenger boy to tell Chiang Kai-shek, who he's been giving millions and millions of uh, dollars worth of equipment to. So it's not like this guy can say no. But again, just Stalin, just a master player at any point in this
2: conversation. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, oh. hold on. If he was with God, it's obviously separate to God, but it was God, so it was right. one... How can you be God and also be with God? That's a little it's bit... Like the don't, Holy Trinity. Don't you think that's a little bit confusing? No. No, I don't think so. No, I think it's fine. You, like, know, why? Don't, you know why it's don't, not confusing? Don't sweat the details. Co- we'll work it out. Co- <laughs> it's not confusing because
1: I, I have faith.
2: Oh, well, there you go. It's all good then. Mm. <laughs> so... Stalin signed an agreement to go to war with Japan because he was going to get a warm water port and other stuff that they'd work out later, <laughs> basically.
1: But, he, but even that for Stalin, he agreed to go to war with, with Japan, against Japan three months after Germany surrendered. I wonder why that particular time, I wonder what Stalin knows, that FDR knows, that Truman at this point, as far as we know, does not know. I wonder why three months, We you know, why do you have to wait three months?
2: Oh, I don't think there's any suggestion that he knew anything. It just—it was going to take three months to redeploy. Well, yeah, to round up all of his guys and out of Germany and uh, move them oh, over thought... to the coast of China and uh, you know rearm them and all that kind of stuff.
1: i, I thought maybe there's something to do with the uh, the bomb. Well, but, I, know, I, but,
2: I, I don't yeah. think anyone at this point knows if the bomb's ever going to work, let alone dates. I mean, the bomb is still, at, in, as of February, the bomb is still months and months and months away from even mm. having a successful trial, So a test. So right. Alamogado, Alamogado, I can never say that word. The first <laughs> successful test in New Mexico or wherever it was didn't right. happen until during the Potsdam Conference. So months and mm. months away. Um,
1: gotcha. Okay. I, I, I probably I too much into
2: that. Yeah. I don't. I, yeah, I don't think he's psychic. Um,
1: no, rank. but but St- I guess my point is Stalin does know that there is some serious work being done on it, and I just thought maybe he was yeah. giving himself a breather. But who knows?
2: No, I think it's just it's just practicalities of moving the army. From, you know, it's a long fucking way, man, to go from <laughs> Germany to the coast of Japan. A couple China.
1: thousand kilometers. Don't exaggerate.
2: Hmm. Um. Uh, mm. So, where it was I up to? He agrees to go to Japan. Yes. Now Churchill signed the deal. Oh, it's a deal between the Soviets and the Americans. And oh, the fuck needs him. Churchill said, "Do you want me to sign?" Frank said, "No, no, it's okay. You got nothing. <laughs> to no, no, I'll Good. sign. No, no. really." I, I, it's got nothing to do with you. Well, technically it does, because I'm here. No, right. you don't need... No, I'm going to sign. No, it, you don't have to sign. I'm going to sign. I don't want you to sign. I'm going <laughs> to fucking sign.
1: I'm going to... Stalin hug. said, Even let, his advisors let him. wanted him not to sign.
2: Yeah. Stalin said, let him sign. What power will it do? It's okay. Let him sign. Like he wants to sign. Let him sign.
1: But Churchill had a specific reason for wanting to sign, and Stalin had a specific reason for wanting him to sign. So... I think everybody, yeah, FDR is the only one who's left out. But, but I mean, but you're absolutely right. Church is like the the low man on the totem pole. He's like if you guys have an agreement out in Asia and the Pacific that is that I don't even have to sign. I mean, what does that say about Britain's influence in the world or, or my position? I mean, he's got to sign it. He's got to be in it to win it. So again, <laughs> the the fact that he didn't they didn't even need a signature tells you is how much influence he has besides the pretty speeches that he makes. But Stalin's going to make a very good um bid for this when he asks him to sign because it's pretty much now no one can say I tricked the old American president. Churchill was in on it well as well. It was a unanimous decision, so there no one can come at me later. For, for what I'm about to do, which is take as much as I can possibly get around Port Arthur and the surrounding area and the and the uh, Chinese railroads to the north of that.
2: Yeah, I think that was Stalin's thinking. Okay, Churchill's signature's on the document, so the British can't complain when we take all these territorial acquisitions in the Far East. Afterwards, hey, you signed the document, motherfucker. It okay, said right there. Right there. The, right the,
1: there. The, preem-
2: the preeminent interests of the Soviet Union shall be safeguarded. What did you think that <laughs> meant? Like <laughs> Yeah, it means we're going to take shit. That's our preeminent interest. Shit. That's what it is. That's <laughs> it's how our we Monroe de- Doctrine. Yeah, we're going to take shit. Um, Churchill, on the other hand, was more than happy to see Russian boats in the Pacific because it might help him prevent the Americans from making him give back Hong Kong. If the Americans turn around in a couple of years and say, well, you know, Declaration of Liberated Peoples and uh, Atlantic Charter, bitch, give back Hong Kong to the Chinese, he can go, really? Like the Russians have boats in the Pacific now. They have a warm water port. You really want me to give up Hong Kong? You really don't want to have a British, you know, base on Hong Kong? And they go, okay, now when you put it like that, I guess, right, Okay. Keep on calm, money motherfucker. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah mm. money of the water. Now, when when they signed the agreement for the ninety nine year lease, I mean, who in the hell thinks that that's ever going to come true? I mean, you know, I mean, obviously time goes by, but I just imagine the Britons, Brit, Britons are like, "Don't worry about it. Ninety nine years from now, don't worry about it." And now, after after everything they built up, it's now once again with China. So again, I just applaud the Chinese for having very far vision. With that, I just, I just think it's amazing.
2: So that's, this is about the time when, when sorry, Roosevelt says, uh, I'm living on a jet plane. They're like, nigga what? <laughs> what? And <laughs> he says, I got shit to do. I'm out. Yeah. My name is Paul. And this is between y'all. I got other things to I do. Go. Yeah.
1: I want to go ride a camel. Yeah. Now,
2: <clears throat> yeah. the last thing Frank did at Yalta in terms of official business was compose two letters. One to Stalin, the other to Churchill. Now, in both of these letters, he basically said the same thing, is, look, the US wants to have more than one vote. You know this whole thing we said, one nation, one vote? Well, Well. we want more than one. I'm sorry I left it to the last minute to bring this up, but (laughs) if I hadn't, you might have argued with me when I was here So I'm bringing it up now as I'm stepping on a jet plane. Um, Now, he was being pressured into this, um, particularly by Justice Burns, Jimmy Burns, um, who reminded him that before he had left the United States, Roosevelt had... Sworn to the U.S. Congress that if the Soviets wanted more than one vote, he would make sure that every U.S. state got a vote. Damn right. Now the Soviets have already agreed that they would will manage to negotiate that uh, they would get. I think Belarus and I think Ukraine would get mm-hmm. some votes uh they're, sure they're part of the soviet union but they're not really if you know what i mean we don't really like they're, they're not really part of us they, they need a vote besides you know they got the shit hammered out of them by the nazis least you can do is give them a vote
1: uh yeah, and mean, now F- fdr was very balanced in his letter. he wrote of course he would support the admission of ukraine and belarus to the un but i am somewhat concerned at least to be pointed out that the United States will only have one vote in the Assembly. It may be necessary for me, therefore, if I am to ensure wholehearted acceptance by the Congress and people of the United States of our participation in the World Organization to ask for additional votes in the Assembly in order to give parity to the United States. Look, I really hate to do this, but I need more than one. You understand, you're getting more than one. Come on, help a brother out. Yeah. Very respectful.
2: Yeah, uh, Burns was arguing that seats should be given to Puerto Rico, Hawaii, and Alaska. Saying, like, "Well, they're not really part of America. I mean, we kind of just invaded them. Really, uh, right. they're not really part of the United States. They're territories. Uh, they should have. They but should we- have a vote as well. Yeah."
1: I mean, this this could just get really crazy because, obviously, Russia is the longest, largest country in the world, and America has a lot of territory. So, yeah, this could get really insane. But, again, these two men have been working together over the days, and so they've developed a relationship. And I think they both know and they both respect each other, and they know what the other person needs. And they're going to give as much as they can as long as it doesn't hurt their interests too much. And that is a pretty decent relationship.
2: So, Alaska didn't become a state until 1959. Really? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, of course you didn't because you only studied US history at university and have a degree in it. Hawaii uh, didn't become a state until 1959 as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, and Puerto Rico is still not a state, right?
1: No, Puerto Rico purposefully votes it down every time it's brought up because of the financial benefits of their current status. So it would take a lot for them. It's a long story, but it would. They, they it probably won't happen,
2: right? So yeah, so Burns was like, "Yeah, you know, they should all get votes as well." Now Churchill was all for this because they were because the British were getting a few extra votes thrown in, and Stalin mm-hmm. agreed. Dear Mr. Roosevelt, Stalin, wrote, I'd entirely agree with you that since the number of votes for the Soviet Union is increased to three, the number of votes for the USA should also be increased. I think that the number of votes for the USA might be increased to three.
1: I just love the way he words that. I think that the number of votes for the US might be increased. It's (laughs) like he's giving FDR something that clearly... Has, to my mind, has been earned. But I just love the way that he dominates the situation, even in a simple sentence like that.
2: Yeah. So, Church, uh, so Churchill, Roosevelt writes these letters, seals them up, then goes to dinner, With the kiss. last uh-huh. dinner of the conference. So these other guys haven't got the letters before the dinner. Roosevelt turns up to the dinner late. Now, the last dinner of Yalta was hosted by Churchill. Um, And I'm not going to go into all of the speeches and the whole fucking rigmarole, but I just want to talk about a couple of things that happened which I think are worth noting. Stalin gave a speech after the dinner and mentioned in this speech that he wasn't happy about having to go back to Moscow to tell people they wouldn't be getting any reparations. (sighs) Now, he waited to give this speech until Churchill had drunk 14 bottles of champagne. (laughs) (laughs) Through a short rubber hose and a funnel. It's the last... It's the last night, the last dinner of the conference. Roosevelt's going home tomorrow. And Churchill's the host. Churchill's the host. You wait until he's well and truly shit-faced drunk. And then you throw out this line that the Russians aren't getting any reparations. And Churchill took the bait.
1: Oh, alcohol.
2: A few minutes later, Churchill agreed to the very thing he had been opposing for the last (laughs) 10 days. That they would agree in their official statements to reparations along with the statement that they would be taking $20 in... Uh, reparations and half of that would go to the Soviet Union alcohol makes you do things you normally wouldn't do yeah like Churchill wouldn't normally have raped Iran but (laughs) he's had enough (laughs) loved to drink and she was looking slutty at the time (laughs) so Stalin wins now again so now Churchill proposes another toast, uh, this time to Stalin's health. He had he had proposed some toast where he kind of dissed Stalin, but now he proposes a toast to Stalin's health. I have drunk...
0: No, sorry, I'm doing my Stalin thing. i got to do my Churchill thing. <clears throat> I have drunk this toast on several occasions. This time I drink it with a warmer feeling than at previous meetings, not because he is more triumphant, but because the great victories and the glory of the Russian arms have made him kindlier than he was in the hard times through which we have passed. I feel that whatever differences there may be on certain questions, he has a good friend in Britain. I hope to see the future of Russia bright, prosperous, and happy. I will do anything to help and I am sure so will the President. There was a time when the Marshal was not so kindly towards us, and I remember that I said a few rude things about him. But our common dangers and common loyalties have wiped all that out. The fire of war has burnt up "'the misunderstandings of the past. "'We feel we have a friend whom we can trust. "'And I hope he will continue to feel the same about us. "'I pray he may live to see his beloved Russia "'not only glorious in war, but also happy in peace.'" Aww.
1: And then to cock it up, the American Stettinius spoke up, and he said, if their two countries worked together after the war, then every home in the Soviet Union would have electricity and, wait for it, plumbing, which is a part of a Lenin quote about communism. And Stalin, probably with a twinkle in his eye, says, yes, we have learned much already from the United States. So I think uh, Lenin said something about if you, you know, if you adopt communism, everybody can have plumbing, but because they're American, I mean electricity, but because they're Americans, they had to throw in the toilet as well. So that's the American goal for the Soviet Union is to help them have electricity and toilets throughout the country. They obviously become very close over the last week.
2: Then the conversation shifted to Churchill's upcoming election. Both Stalin and Roosevelt assured him that the British people would want the man who led them to victory to remain in power. Yeah. Yeah. Now,
1: I mean, Churchill, it makes sense to Stalin, right? I led you to victory. How could you not possibly want hmm. to maintain, you know, keep me in charge?
2: Now Churchill said to Stalin that he had a much easier political task since he had only one party to deal with. (laughs) And Stalin took it as a compliment. He said, experience has shown the one... Oh, now I'm going Sean Connery. Experience, Ms. Moneypenny, has shown one party. Was of great convenience to a leader of the state. I don't know where, where that came from. Um... And Churchill later recalled that Stalin said that one party is much better. To which Churchill replied that if he could get full agreement of all the British people on the subject, it would greatly facilitate the task. (laughs) I basically, yeah, man, I wish we only had one party too. If we only had one party and it was my party, oh, that would make my life so much easier. Awesome. I
1: I do just real quickly. I know we're over time, but I just have to mention the uh, FDR obviously must have been in the cups as well, because he tells a little short story about when he was in the South. He was talking to a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And beside this guy who was obviously white, there was an Italian and a Jew. And FDR said, "Are they a part of your organization as well?" And he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're with us because we know them as individuals, and we're comfortable with them, and we're acceptable." So FDR saying, "So you know what? If an Italian and a Jew and a racist can all work together, then by golly, the three of us can continue on working together."
2: Yeah, that had
1: to be an awkward moment. That yeah. just had to be a freaking awkward
2: moment. Because they all had something in common, there, guys. They all hated the niggers. So <laughs> you know, if you, <laughs> and we all hate the Nazis. So it's the ends. If you all hate something that begins with the letter N, you can build on that. You can. Be- <laughs> oh, I'm going to get some hate mail now. Uh, I'm saying that's what Roosevelt said. He used the N word, not me. Get over right, it, people. Right, no right. Besides, I'm an Australian. Yeah. I can yeah. I can use it. Yeah. Um, Now, before we wrap, I want to get out of Yalta before we finish this episode, man, so let's just zoom through these last hours. All right. Is that all right? Okay. I'm glad you agree. Uh, Now, they started talking about the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine. Roosevelt said that he was a Zionist, asked Stalin if he was a Zionist. Stalin said he was one in principle, but he recognized the difficulty. (laughs)
1: bullshit <clears throat> anyway
2: now now uh, you know we've talked about the treatment of uh, the Jews in uh, the Soviet Union particularly after they signed the Ribbentrop Molotov pact etc yeah and now he's going yeah but sure I mean let's let's create a state and kick them all in there and then we can all be Zionists we just don't want them around you don't want them we don't want them let's remember that no one wanted the Jews this this was a common thing. No one wanted the Jews. Right. Uh, let's send up. Let's find a piece of desert uh, where there's just some camel jockeys and throw the Jews there because uh, then we don't have. Then we can look like we've done the good, the right thing. Um, now, uh, Stetinius wrote. I believe the whole discussion that evening, as well as the spirit of most of the conference furnishes a genuine example to the world that where objective conditions exist, people with different backgrounds and training can find a basis of understanding. Which I think is what people mean as the spirit of Yalta, the feeling that there are no problems that can't be solved if you all come together genuinely and, and do your best to negotiate and try and... Come up with solutions that everyone is happy with.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Now, having said that, as they do leave, um, FDR still does not trust uh, the British imperialist. Churchill is still anti-communist. Stalin doesn't really understand these two capitalists, but they have come together on common things and they have made some very important decisions together. They're just all hoping for the best.
0: Now,
2: Churchill made one last attempt to talk Frank out of leaving the conference.
0: Franklin, he said, You cannot go. We have within reach a very great prize. Winston, came the answer, I have made commitments
2: and I must depart tomorrow. As <laughs> per hand. He's got all JFK for some reason. He's thinking about Boston at the time. <laughs> park the car in the car park. I've made commitments. He's the mayor from The Simpsons.
1: (laughs) I know, it's awesome. Um,
0: Yeah. Now, uh, when the Marshal left, Churchill wrote in his memoirs, many of our British party had assembled in the hall of the villa, and I called for three cheers for Marshal Stalin, which were warmly given. Um, Lord Moran wrote that at Yalta,
2: Churchill was getting along with Stalin better than ever before. Churchill wrote in
0: his uh, memoirs, In this manner, the evening passed away quite agreeably.
2: So that was the last dinner. They're all pally and buddy and friends. The next day, they met to just sign the agreements. But then there's the debate. Who would sign first?
1: I think Franklin had a good point. He's like Joe. You're the host. You should go first. Where you know this is your place. You get the you get the big space. You you take up most of the room with your signature, like John Hancock. Go for it, buddy.
0: Stalin said, No, 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 no. no. <laughs> No, my friend. No, no,
2: no. The American press, they would have a field day if I signed. They would say, I signed first because I think I'm special and the communists and all this. No, no, no. You should
0: definitely go first. We should do it in Cyrillic alphabetic order. Roosevelt, then Stalin, then Churchill.
1: But that's when Churchill speaks up and he goes, well, if we go by the alphabet, I'm first. And if we go by age, I'm first. So guess what? I'm first.
2: Stalin was said, "Motherfucker, I don't care as long as I'm not first. I don't care. Sign, I don't. I don't care. Just sign the fucking thing and let's get this done with." He didn't want to be first, so no one in the West could claim that he had dominated proceedings. As always, Stalin is thinking Smart. about how he looks. Perception, to, yeah. In exactly. the West,
1: exactly. look, everybody knows I'm a dictator, but as long as I don't go around with blood dripping from my hands and acting like one, I can think I can get away with a lot of stuff. And yeah. he's absolutely right.
2: Everyone knows I have a big swinging dick, but as long as I'm not sticking it in your face, <laughs> right. making you smell no, but it.
1: But expectations for him are so low. The fact that he does come across as rational and, and sometimes not, maybe not humble, but certainly, you know, um, res- reflective. I mean, he was able to pull the wool over these guys' eyes in such a way. Uh, it, it just served him well to, to have... Those those low expectations when these guys came,
2: and then at uh, a talk- quarter to. Yeah. What? I was just going
1: to ask if you're going to talk about the rape of the lemon, lemon tree.
2: Yes, but we'll get to that. Sorry. Yeah, fucking sorry. don't. Sorry, fucking you don't, know. Rush. Don't, don't rush. Don't. Fucking... You're the one who said
1: fly through it. I'm just I'm just looking forward to a little rape. That's all.
2: So, a few minutes after exchanging gifts and decorations, the big three left the Lavadia Palace. Well, it's over. Yesterday, lunchtime saw the conclusion, wrote Sarah Oliver. Stalin, like some genie, just disappeared. Three hours after the last handshake, Yalta was deserted, except for those who always have to tidy up after the party. The three foreign ministers stayed behind to work out some last-minute details. And when they walked into the entrance hall of the Lavardia Palace to sign the final documents, Molotov noticed the lemon tree that Stalin had ordered for making martinis for yeah. Roosevelt. And there were still lots of lemons on the tree. So right. Molotov proposed that Eden and Stettinius each take a branch as a souvenir, which they did. Why don't you just pick a fucking lemon? Then the Allied diplomats and the military personnel who were still there also came and took branch of the olive tree Uh, until the only bits that were left were the bits that could be sawed or chopped with an axe, and the Allies all returned home from the Yalta Peace Conference (laughs) with branches not of a palm, but of a lemon. And the great irony in that gesture... (laughs) Probably wasn't realised until some point in the future. Maybe it was only Serhi Plohi who realises this. (laughs) They took home a lemon from the Alta conference. (laughs) And I fucking love that. They all took home a lemon from the peace conference. Now, just wrapping up, some final comments. Harry Hopkins believed... Pretty much everyone believed the trip had been a great success. When you read through the memoirs... Of all of the people from all of the different sides, they all thought it was a great success. And it was championed uh, across the world. Harry Hopkins believed it had been a great success. He wrote, We really believed in our hearts that this was the dawn of the new day we'd all been praying for and talking about for so many years. We were absolutely certain that we had won the first great victory of the peace, And by we, I mean all of us, the whole civilized human race. Ah. Lord Moran wrote in his diary that Hopkins was lying on his sickbed and was firmly convinced that a new utopia had dawned. He says the Russians have shown that they will listen to reason and the president is certain that he can live at peace with them. Yes, Ray? Mm. No, I
1: just uh P- Professor Bloch, he wrote in his book cuz they're going to they're going to tweak the communique a little bit at the end and he wrote in his book a brilliant just a brilliant uh, summation. It was the last battle of the conference and the first battle over its interpretation. So again, just these guys are going to disagree f- very quickly and it's all in their expectations and interpretation of what they had accomplished at Yalta.
2: Mm. Uh, Lord Cadogan from the United Kingdom wrote, I have never known the Russians so easy and accommodating. In particular, Joe has been extremely good. He is a great man and shows up very impressively against the background of the other two aging statesmen. (laughs) Wow. He wrote that to his wife in a letter. Hopkins uh, again wrote, the Russians had proved that they were reasonable and far-seeing and there wasn't any doubt in the minds of the president or any of us that we could live with them and get along with them peacefully for as far into the future as any of us could imagine. But I have to make one amendment to that. I think we all had in our minds the reservation that we could not foretell what the results would be if anything should happen to Stalin. We felt sure that we could count on him to be reasonable and sensible and understanding, but we could never be sure who or what might be in back of him there in the Kremlin. As it turns out, it wasn't the replacement of Stalin that he should have been worried about. It was the replacement of Roosevelt. The Russians were also happy. Stalin said to his colleagues afterwards that he trusted in his relationship with Roosevelt, of course, none of them knew that within a couple of months Frank would be gone. Yeah. But their relationship hit rocky times even before that. But that we will have to get to in our next episode.
1: But, but to be clear, we are done with Yalta. To you. What's your pleasure? Yeah.
0: It's, it's, a a good times, come on. it's a celebration. it's
2: a celebration.